Well, thank you for that warm welcome. And thank you also for the many people who gave me a warm welcome when I came through the door. And um, that's really an extraordinary piece of Grace Covenant Church, largely because that doesn't happen in every church. If you've been out visiting churches, not every church remembers to do that. And so what a blessing to me as you extended a warm greeting to me. Thank you. Um, it's great to be with you, and um, Pastor Steve, I feel a little bit responsible for your being here, which I think is a good thing. <laughs> um, yep, yep. Working with the search team has been a pleasure, and um, in this season of COVID, it's, you know, had its jumps and fits and starts, but all is going well, and your team is working hard, but the one thing I know is I feel pretty sure that you're going to do okay in the interim because Pastor Steve is here. So that's just my guess. <laughs> um, you are a special church. And I do thank you so much for praying for me uh, as I lost my husband to COVID in December. It's hard for me to believe it's been almost a year. We'd been married for 37 years. Love of my life. Um, best friend, biggest cheerleader, you know, I can't say enough about what it means to lose someone that dear, but many of you have that experience, and many of you have experienced loss during this season, and it may not have been a spouse, it may not have been a parent, but we've all had to navigate a pretty difficult season, so I just want to say thank you, church, for leaning in, and to declare again, God is good, and <laughs> And he is faithful. And even in the midst of the most difficult things, his faithfulness shines through. And I've been a recipient of his blessing, even in my loss. So thank you so much. You're part of that team that's prayed for me, and that means a lot. I also want to thank you just for being a church that participates so well in the shared ministry that we have. And I saw earlier a prayer request up for the Denver Metro Church Planting Group, which that's a big part of what we do. It's not the only thing, but um, what a blessing to know that you're actively praying for and coming alongside and participating in and giving toward. I just, we're so grateful for you and this mission that we're on together. Um, I did bring a picture, which it would be negligent of me as a grandma. Oh, thank you, there it is. Because these are my grandkids. Any grandparents here? Yes, so you know, like this is an amazing role, right? And these are my adorable grandchildren, Garnet, who's six, Huxley, who's two, and Briley, who's four. And uh, they take up a lot of, I take my grandparenting very seriously, <laughs> just that kind of a grandma. But it also reminds me on a daily basis of how important it is that we live our lives in front of the kids and children in our midst, that they get to see a life of faith modeled for them, um, I just think that that role is indispensable. I'm the product of praying parents and grandparents and part of a church who loved me through thick and thin, and there may have been a lot more thick than thin. I don't know, I was one of those kids, you know, but <laughs> uh, I'm just so grateful. So thank you for being a church that cares for your youth and your children, and it's one of the reasons I just love uh, the local church. So thank you for being a beacon of Christ, Grace Covenant Church for Christ's love in this community. Um, I want to pray as I open the scriptures before you, and so would you just take a moment to, to offer up a word of prayer with me. God, I just am so grateful to be here among your people, um, this very special church, this beloved church, and um, you love them more than we can possibly even imagine. 
but I thank you for that love and for your faithfulness to them. And God, I pray as I open the word that you would anoint my words with your spirit, that they might minister in the hearts of each person here exactly what they need to hear this morning, Lord, whether it's a word of encouragement or challenge. Uh, I leave that in your hands. I just pray that there be less of me and more of you in this message as we move forward. And I thank you for this special time. I pray that you would know how much we love you, even as we sit here and receive your words. In Jesus' name I ask it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So my text this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 1. Um, this is a wonderful text, so I'm going to read it for you first, and uh, verses 3 to 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in, in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory." And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen, church? Amen. <laughs> Such a great passage. I love it. Um, Paul here taking considerable care to really paint a picture of who it is that we are in Christ and what it is that he's done for us. And I'm excited to spend time in this first chapter. We're barely going to be able to, you know, scrape the surface. So I encourage you to go home and open your Bibles and just languish in it. It's such a great, um, uh, such a great passage. Uh, it is actually, this is in the original form in Greek, which Paul originally wrote it, all one very long run-on sentence, if you can imagine that. Yeah, there's no commas, no periods, no semicolons, anything like that. That's, of course, been put in for us so that we can read it a little bit easier. But in its original form, over 200 consecutive words with no comma, period, anything like that, 200 plus words without punctuation is a very long run-on sentence. If there's any teachers here in the group, you know, I can get an amen out of that, I'm quite sure. Now, contrary to what I just said, I do think it's more than just a piece of trivia. 
Because here's what I think as Paul starts this letter and as he's explaining what it is that God has done for us in Christ, as he's covering basically all of salvation history from before God created the earth until the future, when all things in heaven and on earth are brought together under Christ, as he's declaring this, I believe he's simply so exuberant that he can't slow down long enough to put in the punctuation. That's my theory anyway. There's so much to learn in this passage and we'll barely scrape the surface this morning, but I think there's also something to be noticed in the, Paul, in the, in the tone in which Paul delivers it. Because if you know this um, or if you remember this, Paul wrote this after he'd been a Christian for almost 30 years. He had met Jesus about 30 years earlier on that Damascus road where he had that powerful experience. Since then, he'd been teaching the Bible, he'd been planting churches, he'd been in prison, he'd navigated arguments in the church. He may even have started a few arguments in the church. I'm sure that never happens here, right? He settled matters of racial inequality. He gave honor to the place of women and men to use their full gifting in the church. I don't know that he did, like he argued over the color of the carpeting or what instruments are played on worship. I highly doubt it. But I do know that he had been leading a gospel movement for some 30 years when he wrote this. So this was not new news to him. In fact, it was very old news, but it was such, such good news to him. And as Paul starts this letter with this 200-plus word, broad brushstroke summary of what God has done for us in Jesus, he is so ridiculously excited that he can't slow down to catch his breath. So I want to give you a little loose paraphrase. If I might take the liberty, we'll call it the Tammy paraphrase, of how I envisioned Paul might have delivered this orally. Paul is saying, listen, I don't have time for commas or periods or semicolons because I am still so overwhelmed with the never-ending reckless love of a God who would send his only son to die for me and to raise him from the dead so that in him I have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, that God chose me before he spun the earth on its axis, before he flung the stars into the universe, I graced his holy imagination and he said, you're mine, he chose me, he predestined me to be a adopted as his child and included me in the family of God where I have an inheritance that far exceeds anything I could ever possibly hope for or imagine or experience this side of heaven. And I know I've got it coming because it's been signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit of God who is the down payment for all that is to come for all of God's adopted children. To God be the glory. Is that good news, church? <laughs> Amen. So that's kind of my vision of how Paul and his exuberance might have delivered this orally. And I want us this morning to just consider that. I mean, are we this excited about Jesus? Are we as a people this excited when we think about Jesus, all he's done for us, all he is? Paul was a follower of Jesus for 30 years, and he still couldn't catch his breath due to the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God in the person and work of Jesus. And you might notice that's my title, and I stole it, a line out of a song. And I just wonder if some of us this morning, because I know it's true for me as well, sometimes we come and we sit every Sunday morning, or maybe we're teaching Sunday school or leading in the church, and I wonder if sometimes we just need to be reminded of the enormity, of the, of the gravity and the magnitude of what it is that Jesus has done for us. 
And so what I want to do in the remaining minutes is to take some time to dig out some of those nuggets. And um, I just think this particular passage is like the mother load of spiritual blessings, if you will. We've only got time to go digging for a few nuggets, but let's start right out of the chute here with nugget number one, which is this. He chose you. Sounds simple, but verse four says, he chose you before the creation of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, there was this sort of dysfunctional playground activity that would occur, and I don't know, maybe it's still happening, I kind of hope not, but it would go something like this. You'd pick a couple of captains, and you'd get out on the playground, it might be recess, or it might be PE, or whatever it is, and those captains, they'd line up all the students, and those captains would go down the line one by one and pick off the students. Oh, yeah. And you'd start with the very best athletes, right? And they'd go down the line until they get to the most athletically challenged. And man, if you were that person at the end of the line, time after time, it was horribly embarrassing. You dreaded this, and you felt sorry for people who were, some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Maybe we have a bunch of athletes in here, I don't know, but I mean, honestly, it was horrible. It was embarrassing. Here's what Ephesians chapter 1 says to us. You need to know that the captain of all creation, before he created the world, he knew your name, and he called you out, and he said, I pick you. You are mine, and I want you on my team. And here's the reality. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, long before you chose to follow him, he chose you. If you've decided to follow Jesus, long before you made that decision, he decided to pick you. Being chosen before creation, it has everything to do with the value that he places on us, and by that I mean every human being, because we have been created in the image of God. It has nothing to do with God arbitrarily choosing some and overlooking others, which is such good news because there may be some of us here at one point or another, maybe even now, have felt overlooked for any variety of reason, maybe not being chosen for that sports team in school, maybe not, you know, maybe overlooked for that promotion in work, maybe not being a part of the in crowd, if you want to say that, in your workplace, your school, your neighborhood, dare I say that can even happen in the church sometimes, I'm sure never here. Some have felt isolated, unchosen, felt disregarded. What I want you to hear this morning coming through in Ephesians chapter one is God himself who says, listen, my child, I chose you. I picked you. You are mine and I want you on my team. Before the foundation of the world was laid, I chose you to be mine. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty darn good news. Amen. <laughs> Nugget number two is this. You have been adopted into God's family. Verse 5 tells us long, long ago he decided to adopt us into his family. In fact, it says he predestined us for adoption. So I want to share a little story with you, kind of illustrate this point. It's about a nurse named Shayla. And it was a Friday night, and Shayla was working in the maternity ward of the hospital. She didn't work there uh, normally, but someone had called in sick, and so she had agreed to take the shift. 
That night, it was her responsibility to care for a pregnant woman who had come in earlier that evening. And so Shayla um, learned a couple of things while she was taking care of this woman. One was that she was about to give birth at least two weeks early. And the second thing she learned is that she was going to be giving up her baby for adoption. Later, when Shayla was on break, she and called her husband and told him all about the situation. You see, Shayla and her husband had two boys, ages six and seven, but they had been told they couldn't have any more children, and they desperately wanted another child, and so they were hoping to complete their family someday through adoption. Um, that evening, the woman gave birth. It was a healthy baby girl, and uh, it created a lot of excitement across the maternity ward, as you could imagine, but also a lot of speculation as to what's going to happen to this baby. When Shayla got home, she was talking to her husband. They, they talked late into the night about these completely unattainable possibilities, but it was basically stealing their sleep. And the next morning, a Saturday morning, just based on an interprompting, she decided to go ahead and call that doctor's office, taking kind of a risk of looking silly, but feeling like, I just got a call, I just got to find out. The receptionist answered the phone, and within an hour, the doctor who had delivered the baby called her back and said, you know, the birth mother's doctor's out of town, we have been unable to reach him, we don't know who this baby is supposed to go to. And so he said to Shayla this, since you're the first one to get your foot in the door, if you want to start the process, you can take this baby home. And so on Monday, after a frantic weekend of shopping for baby clothes and, and uh, baby formula and diapers and all the things you need, because they actually had nothing left anymore, she drove to the hospital and they placed that baby in her arms and she just cried. In fact, she told me she just wept with joy. If you haven't already guessed it, <laughs> that baby girl was me. <laughs> I'm that child. And I consider my adoption actually nothing short of a miraculous convergence of extraordinary God-orchestrated moments. I'm so grateful to God for loving parents and for the home they gave me. I've always considered it to be a beautiful and incredible, a gracious gift. And it's been foundational for my understanding as the much-loved daughter of Shayla and Winston Swanson, but even more importantly, as a lavishly loved child of God. And friends, this is our story, every one of us. Our stories really are a miraculous convergence of extraordinary God-orchestrated moments that have brought us to this place to be children of God. 1 John 3, 1, one of my favorite verses. Oh, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. That is what we are lavished in our father's love. I remember saying to my brothers growing up, as I said, both of them born to my parents, uh, naturally, mom and dad had to keep you. They were stuck with you. But they chose me. <laughs> I have no idea what life I was saved out of, what kind of hardship might have been in the, my path, what kind of tragedy, but I do know the life that I was brought into and blessed with 
And the good news of the gospel, it, it's not just that Jesus saves us from something. He does, right? He saves us from sin. He saves us from some kind of purposeless, mundane life. He saves us from our own folly. He does all of that, and it's good news, but that it's also that he invites us into his family. He gives us an inheritance, and in every way treats us as his dearly beloved children, and that is great news. Amen, church? We could spend a lifetime mining the depths of the meaning of our adoption. I'm going to suggest just a couple of things here. One thought is this. If you are a son or a daughter of God, that means you have unrestricted, unhindered access to God as your father. Now, just by way of thinking about this, as a parent, when my children were young and they yelled out in the middle of the night, guess what? I came running. And when my kids were in grade school and they really needed something, I was going to show up Johnny on the spot. And when my kids got older, they were teenagers, they just wanted to have a conversation. You better believe I dropped whatever I was doing just to listen. And when my grown children call me today just to chat, I'm going to take that call pretty much no matter what I'm doing. Don't even get me going on my grandkids, right? <laughs> because I love them, and I delight in them, and I love to hear from them. Verse 5 tells us, you've been adopted, which means you have unrestricted, unhindered access to a God who loves to hear from you and who delights in you. Some of you may have had a rocky relationship with your dad. Some of you may have not felt a whole lot of love from your father. Some of you may have had great fathers who really modeled the love of Christ for you. Regardless of your earthly father, what I want you to hear this morning is the voice of a God who delights in you, who says, you can call me dad. You can call me anytime. I will be your father. I have chosen you, and I have adopted you into my family. And here's another thing. If you're an adopted son or daughter of God, it means you have unrestricted, well, I've already said you have unrestricted access to a father who delights in you, but you also get a family out of the deal, right? So I remember those stories when I was older and they were telling me about my adoption and coming home from the hospital and how my brothers were right down the street in school and they couldn't wait to meet me so they came running home at lunchtime and kind of then just were like, you know, paralyzed with deer in the headlight look once they got inside the door and didn't know what to do until finally my older brother reached out and kind of ran his hand up and down my arm as if to kind of see if I was real and I assure you it got much more normal after that. <laughs> but my point is, I didn't just get parents out of the deal. I got a whole family. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this about the Christian family. He said, we belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we have been chosen from eternity, accepted in time, and united for eternity. And this should impact everything, right? It should impact everything. When I think of God's family, it's so much bigger than my beautiful little family of origin that I love so much. 
It's even bigger, for example, than the Grace Covenant family. It's bigger than the whole Covenant Church family. It is global. It is people from every nation, tribe, people, and language, anyone who calls God Father and knows Jesus, his son. And it it means we need to care about the things that matter to the rest of the family, right? When you're here and someone's experiencing joy, oh, you rejoice with them. When someone is experiencing sorrow, oh, you come alongside them and you care for them. We are called to care for those who are part of the family of God. So, for example, when our Hindustani covenant church in India is still suffering under the rampages of COVID, we need to care. When some of our brothers and sisters living right here around us lack opportunities that others of us take for granted, We need to care about that. When women and children are trafficked to satisfy the most evil desires of broken humanity, we need to care. When Christians around the world are persecuted, mistreated, imprisoned, kidnapped, and held hostage or run out of their country, we need to care about that. When our brothers and sisters of color tell us about their experiences and the wounds that have been inflicted, we need to care about that because the family of God transcends the color of our skin, the country of our origin, the language we speak. God said it here in scripture. That makes it so. And Ephesians tells us that one day, according to God's good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, when the times reach their fulfillment, he's going to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ to the praise of his glory. And Revelation 7 paints that exact picture of all God's family from every nation, tribe, people, and language gathered around the throne of God, praising him in the heavenly realms. I'm telling you, that is going to be the best family reunion ever. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Yeah, no wonder Paul was so exuberant. We get a family with all the blessings and all the responsibilities that come with that. And you are a family here, brothers and sisters of Grace Covenant Church, and you're a part of that greater covenant family, and you're part of that global family that extends around the world. And it's been God's plan all along to pull this diverse family together, both in heaven and those on earth, to bring unity under Christ. And we get the privilege of aligning our hearts with God's plans, our hearts with what it is that God purposes to do. In fact, we often pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in what? Heaven. And we get to participate with him in accomplishing that in the here and now because we already belong to one another. To claim God as father is to claim all of God's children as sister and brother. Being adopted means we get adopted into this wonderful, diverse family that we are privileged to be a part of. The last nugget that I'm going to share with you, well, Ephesians says we're blessed with every spiritual blessing, chosen before the creation of the world, adopted into God's family, redeemed through the blood of Jesus, we're forgiven of our sins, we're lavished in the richness of God's grace, we have been guaranteed an inheritance filled with the spirit of the living God for the praise of his glory. Now, I don't know if you noticed as I read that, that three times that little phrase shows up in this section that I read. 
That, I think that's Paul's way of saying, hey, <laughs> wake up and pay attention, right? The praise of his glory. When we see references in scripture to God's glory, it's talking about God being revealed. Glory is about his revelation as a God, his presence and his power. We experience that when God is revealed and we, and we can't help but praise him, right? <laughs> glory is all about revelation. God revealing his character as a saving God, a loving God, a God who chooses us and adopts us into his family, who delights in us, who values us. But in this outburst of praise to God's glory, Paul kind of turns this on its side and he says, we who are in Christ, we are for the praise of his glory. Shorthand is, we get to reveal Christ <laughs> to the rest of the world looking on. In verse four it says he chose us before the creation of the world to live holy and blameless lives before God, which makes sense because we're for the praise of his glory, right? Whatever else the church is, we must be a community of changed people. We have to look different than the world around us. Our primary residence, our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of God, and we need to take our identity cues from there and not from the toxic, divisive, me-first, dehumanizing and devaluing rhetoric of the politicized world in which we find ourselves right now. Our primary identity, I hope this is not mind-blowing to anyone, but is not as Republicans or Democrats or Libertarians or Independents. Our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven where one day we will stand beside and worship beside people who on this earth may have had different ideas than we do. And we are called to live in alignment with God's plans and his purposes in the here and now, which is to bring all things in heaven and on on earth under Christ so that we who are in Christ, we might live for the praise of his glory, that people looking on would understand and know who we are. That's the point here. We are chosen by God for the praise of his glory. We are adopted by God for the praise of his glory. We're put in a diverse family for the praise of his glory, so that we will participate in God's plans to make Christ known. And the beauty of our life being incorporated into the life of Christ to people who have been chosen, adopted, loved, forgiven, redeemed, is that God would be praised. To God be the glory. So when I asked that question, I asked at the outset, are we excited about Jesus, church? Do we have, yeah, let me ask that in a non-rhetorical way. Are we excited about Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. It is my prayer, dear Grace Covenant family, that you will grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God in the person and work of Jesus, that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, so much that his love spills out of you and pours into the lives of those around you. And to God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
oh God, it is just beyond our imagination to recognize or to realize we have been chosen by you before the foundation of the earth was laid, that we've been adopted into this beautiful, diverse family and have an opportunity to be blessed with every spiritual blessing. God, I pray we might live as citizens of heaven, as part of your plan to bring unity so that we may bring you glory, O oh God. And so I pray these things, Lord, that they would become reality to us, that we would live into them, and that we would celebrate them all in service to the praise of your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.